Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This podcast is brought to you by Grown By. Join farmers from across the U.S. who are selling direct on the first cooperatively owned sales app, Grown By. You can easily manage CSAs of any scale, organize your spring plant sales, move that freezer meat, or even sell wholesale on Grown By. Farm shops are free to build with lots of inventory options. You can accept credit cards and offline payments, and their pick lists and pack sheets do the job. Customers will get automated notifications on orders, refunds, and pickups. There is no startup fees, no monthly or yearly subscriptions, no additional charge for tech support. The only cost is a small co-op service charge for online processing. However, as a listener of the Thriving Farmer podcast, you get 50% off your first three months of co-op service charges on GrownBuy. Email their very friendly farmer support team at grow at farmgenerations.coop to get this offer. Check it out at grownby.com or download the app on the Google Play or Apple App Stores. Grown by the farmer-owned marketplace. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Jessica Hall, who is the owner, visionary, and weeder-in-chief of Harmony Harvest Farm in Virginia. Located in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, her farm is known for pioneering nationwide direct-to-consumer bouquet shipping. With over 15 years in the industry, Jessica is driven by the belief that fresh flowers rule and everyone can live a better life through flowers. Jessica has actually been on two of our summits, and we finally got around to inviting her to the podcast. Jessica, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Boy, it is a blast to hang out with you and to talk about my favorite things, uh, daydreaming about building better farming businesses together. Absolutely. So let's kind of kind of back up a bit. When did you know that you wanted to be a flower farmer? Oh, well, that's very serendipitous. You see, in my family, the best ideas always come to us sitting on the beach on our family vacations. My mom, really young in life, had a sister who located at Virginia Beach, which happened to just be a few hours short drive. And since we had family there, as kids, it was a summer ritual just to go and spend time with family on the beach. And as we got older, my parents used it as a means to keep in touch with their college children and then their young adults. And I vividly remember mm. uh, we had just gotten the farm, which ironically is another acquisition story that happened at the beach, uh, but for another time. Uh, my mom turned to me. I had spent that whole summer with one small child on the hip. Uh, we had just laid claim to the ground. I had left sales uh, in marketing and horticulture distribution and thought I was going to be a vegetable farmer. We have a thriving produce auction in our backyard. Mm. And I was a little defeated realizing that I was not set up to scale um, According to what I was seeing in my local mm -hmm. um, market, it was just a lot of people knew how to do it and do it really well already. And I was still trying to learn. And so we went to the beach and my mom turned to me and she said, what are you going to do with that farm that we helped you get? Mm. And I said, I just, I don't know. And she said, well, you have to do something. And I said, yeah, I know. And there was a moment pause 
And then she turned to me and she said, where do florists get flowers? And it, it still gives me chills. And it was my light bulb moment. And I said, that's it. That is exactly it. Cause I went straight to cut flower production. Mm -hmm. My mom said, what? And I don't know if she happened to, we read magazines. I don't know if she happened to flip through an article and was just questioning something in life or how that came to be. But we all, my mom, my sister, who was young and trying to find her way at the time, and myself packed up those folding beach chairs, marched back into that beach house and spent the rest of our beautiful beach vacation on the local spotty Wi-Fi internet or at that small beach community library mm. researching the industry. And you have to know that we come from a very um, ag-centric background. My father was a vocational ag teacher and my sister and I very proudly wore the blue corduroy FFA jackets and showed our market animals in 4-H. So we understood niche agriculture and family farming and we knew that this was something that was experiencing just at the beginning of a revival and a resurgence and so for me I was like this is something I can do and do really well I've always been artistic I have done so many weddings on the side for friends and always had flowers in my house even as a college kid and ironically had worked at a florist, but never had thought about using that as a means for creating a business and a lifestyle and a livelihood. So that's kind of how it happened. It was sitting on the beach. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, when you say there's a produce auction, I'm assuming that's where there would be like, is more of like an Amish run auction where they were just bringing in what was available every single week and selling it or? Yeah, so we sit in the Shenandoah Valley in a really neat little um, spot of agriculture. And it literally goes back to when this land and area happened to be settled. You know, in Virginia, there's lots of old history. And up until the mountain ridge, because we sit right between two beautiful spines of mountains, um, as the land was settled, it was a lot of wealthy estate owners who came over and set up plantations. But further north, we found German uh, communities, uh, predominantly German, that was just mm -hmm. happened to be my descent, um, communities, entire villages that came over and slowly migrated down. And instead of setting up plantations, they set up communities and they relied on each other to take care of each other and to keep the wheels going, so to speak. And that kind of model really never left agriculture in this area. We happen to have a very thriving Mennonite community. And I will say I am a blessed country bumpkin in that I grew up uh, on a small little mountainside uh, where the old order Mennonite community was right in my backyard, literally my neighbors. And I got to kind of grow up within that and uh, understand um, some of the unique um, networking that they had built in the um, farming community. And so as I kind of began, they were a great benchmark for me to watch. There's a lot of vegetable production that happens here. And um, the local community has actually built a large auction house that is open 
almost year round. Mm -hmm. And people from as far away as New York, very high end restaurants tend to come down and buy produce. It also is known for supplementing so many produce outfits and roadside stands. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it has been a wonderful feature for our community um, and kind of growing up uh, in the way that I did and having uh, this produce market in my backyard while I do flowers. It certainly has been so helpful in helping me uh, know who to turn to when I run into different problems and obstacles because most of the things and challenges that I face are very much the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. All right. So you bought the farm. Now you have to figure out what to do with it. And what were the early days like of being a flower farmer? Oh, man, it was sweatshop survival of the fittest. Um, we have always you have to know me that I run with a lot. Like I have four kids and I have to have seven tunnels and I have to like have my hands in all things to a large degree. I now have learned that it's important to have, to have those skills, but be bridled by the right people in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those early days we would, oh, we grow over 200 different types of flowers. Well, that was just because, dear God, I knew that something would make it and I could have something alive, right? Um, And it was grabbing every order. And I'll be real honest, um, when we began this, I knew out the gate, uh, which was a skill set I have later developed, um, what I am not strong at, partner with people who are. I didn't have money and I'm not great at managing that. Um, And in fact, I'm so proud of the growth that I have made in my challenging areas on this whole journey. But my mom is a financial wizard um, and has managed and grown multiple businesses in multiple different facets and industries. And so I partnered with my mom. Now that she realized I was a creative and that was the easy sale, the easy grab. So we immediately entered into wedding designs, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. that's the best profit margin. Let's go after that. Incredibly um, taxing on the labor side. Uh, There's way more involvement to get those big orders. So I became very tethered um, to that. And Burnout happens in flower farming and it happens in design. And when I was wearing both of those hats, it became the writing on the wall became real easy to read that that was going to be my trajectory. If I didn't figure out how to make a lifestyle that I could manage and enjoy those features. Mm -hmm. So the beginning was all nights, delirious nights in the mix of all of that. I had twin babies, um, who I have to take care of, but I have to run mm-hmm. the farm so that they can eat. Um, I have an amazing husband who is incredibly supportive, but does not work on this farm. Uh, he mm-hmm. works a regular job at the Target distribution plant. So I'm not coming to the table with large amounts of money. While my mom um, and my parents were really frugal and smart and were able to help me and my husband by the farm, they have not cash um, flowed this whole operation and business. This has had to stand on its own. So there's always been that pressure. And I think in the beginning, um, that pressure was the biggest 
drive. And, you know, thank goodness, I, if I had any regrets and I try to live life without any, it's that I would have started even earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started in my late 20s. And even that just felt um, very, you know, scrappy. And um, it was just a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a hard scrabble start figuring it out as you went. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. So luck, a lot of, I'll be real honest, a lot of luck. The more I do this, the longer I do this and the more refined um, I make the machine that is the business that even I work for, uh, the more I realize how lucky we were in those early days. Um, but in addition to luck, the only thing that makes you fail is if you quit. And I wasn't about to quit. I still mm-hmm. am not about to quit. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then with that start, when did you know that weddings weren't for you and you were going to switch gears? Actually, it was really interesting. Um, I have made some great connections. I have learned an incredible amount from different seats perspective of that same flower um and I have had privileges that I swear like is am I in a movie this is incredible how did I get so lucky yeah uh, in the throes of all of that you know I've I've had the blessings of working on um celebrity and weddings and high profile events there was one specific event that I was called in as a team and it was I was working for with another designer that is a dear friend and someone I love who ran that event so flawlessly and it was so beautiful, but I was part of the team mm. and I went and saw a level of decadence that my little country bumpkin mind just could never have dreamed of for this client. Right. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the work I do personally I didn't want it to only be accessible by those people. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted everybody to have access to what I did in life. And I wanted to make sure that it didn't feel like you had to be some elitist to be even able to do it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I felt like somehow I crossed some barrier into some private little wor- world and realized like, okay, I see it over here and I see how how it looks, but that's not where I want to be. So let me redirect. I want to bounce out of that world and find a, a different bubble to hang out in. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So what did that, so that's what you, your thought was, but what did that start looking like? So where did, where did you start to pivot? So that really happened. Ironically, that happened right before COVID. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so we're already shipping flowers. I've, I'm, yeah. girl does not get told no. And when I started things, and I think that's a little bit of the type of visionary I am, um, is my initial ideas come from being told I can't do something. Yeah. But then I want to perfect it so that it's not just you can do it, but you can do it really, really well and successfully with others. So we were shipping flowers but we were really wholesale only and I was terrified of making the jump into retail that felt like way more customer service they didn't understand my flowers uh it works if you're at a farmer's market where you can tell your story Mm -hmm, but I'm not mm going to be in the box like I 
that terrified me. So we were going to stay in wholesale. When COVID happened, we, um, every wedding stopped. In -hmm. fact, we were at risk of losing deposits and that was the breadwinner. Uh, There was no wholesale orders because there was no events for other florists Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. All of our mass volume was going to Whole Foods. We were shipping into stores up and down the East Coast. They all called and said, stop. Whoa. We were like, what are we going to do? Yeah. It was the scariest moment as a business owner I have ever felt in my life. It's one of those things that seared into you and definitely like changes who you are after the fact. My sister, my mom and I, it was the teariest day we've ever experienced because it was right before the like national shutdowns happened. And we knew that that was coming and we didn't know what was going to happen. And so we very tearfully told our entire crew, please go home 30 days. I don't care what the government says at 30 days at minimum. We just want you guys safe. We're terrified too. We promise that unless like the world implodes, you will have a job to come back to and this farm will be fine. We're going to take care of it all. And we will continue to pay you. At that point, we didn't know what the government was going to do. We will continue to make sure you have a paycheck because we want you to come back and we'll deliver it to you. And the tears in that parking lot and then the amount of pressure that we felt leaving that. But, you know, sometimes I feel like you have to have those really tight, narrow channels to really push the momentum to get you through to the other side. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. in our moment of ingenuity, we came up with a retail product, uh, which was the happy box at the time. And it was just a handful of daffodils and experience of the farm with a project, uh, a learning STEM project an educational guide about the flower. Uh, We really tried to like give an interactive, A, because I'm now home with four kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) And I was like, mm -hmm. everybody's feeling the same thing. What do we do? We got to keep them busy. So we launched that. And you have to remember like weddings were cash flowing us before. So shipping, we were looking at like 20 orders a week. Yeah, yeah. And trying hard. And then um, when we launched that, my sister and I came, we launched it at nine o'clock at night. We came in at seven the next morning and there was over a hundred orders. We ran out of ink printing because we didn't realize that we needed to have ink reserves on hand. We were like, holy snot, this is crazy, exciting and scary all at the same time. So we made mom stay at her house and we called her house the crow's nest. We were like, mom, strap yourself to your desk in front of the computer with your phone on your ear. Answer any customer service calls, all the emails, buy all the stuff we need. And just Steph's going to run all of the shipping fulfillment and Jess is going to run the farm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how we divided and conquered. Now you have to think we had a handful of people doing the work, right? And it goes down to us. So like I'm telling you, when bad, scary things happen, you can turn it into a great blessing. Yeah. We overnight found every efficiency known to man in those wheelhouses. So we immediately were jumping in and being like, okay, this has to get done. This is how we do it. Oh, why are they doing that? That, that, oh my gosh, this is a time suck. I'm going to do it this way. And I'm going to document it. And then when Mm -hmm. everybody came back, their entire job was different. Now it was way more efficient 
Uh, yeah. And it was a it was a lot of of stressful laughing as we kind of re-educated everyone on things. But sometimes, especially if we get to the privilege of being able to have people who work with us in our businesses, we kind of turn our back. We say, okay, you've got that ball. I don't need to worry about it. And that taught me the great importance as an owner of jumping back in the trenches across the board in different departments Mm -hmm. to see where the problems are. Because when you're the one just kind of on the assembly line, just like I love Lucy, it's hard to see what's coming at you and how you could maybe take a beat and make it better. So as now the the leader of the business, I really try to stay vested in jumping in everybody's trenches and seeing if there's ways I can improve workflow. Because A, it helps us make more money and B, it helps my people stay Mm -hmm. sane, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're eliminating frustrations that haven't even gotten to the level that they're vocalizing it, That keeps you a true visionary, keeps you really working on the future of your business. And every efficiency you can squeak out puts dollars in pockets. And that's my favorite part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that too is letting them know, hey, it's not that you're doing it wrong. It's that there's right. always going to be better ways to do things. And that's right. our job as us, the managers, is to work through those efficiencies and Again, it's like, hey, look at this. We found a new way that you can save time so you can be less stressed and you can get off earlier at the end of the day. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. And it was it was that hard COVID pause on weddings yeah. that made us be able to take a beat. We made everything else more efficient. We, tr- we had no choice, but we had to look at all of our other um, like buckets of revenue coming in to uh-huh. fill the pot because weddings wasn't going to do it. And it allowed us then the opportunity to say, okay, what are we doing on weddings? Well, I, we all still love that creative part, but we don't want to do that. And it's the biggest labor suck we have. So what we decided to do, since we were already like really building our momentum of having a great website where people could buy directly off of it and have things ship, mm-hmm. we said, well, let's just have our wedding audience buy directly off the website. Let's streamline this. Maybe we're not getting the huge weddings, Uh but we're putting more of our product in people's hands and making it more accessible. I found one of the biggest, hardest parts was people are like, I literally have no idea how much wedding flowers are going to cost. You know, when I go buy a car, I get it could be all over the place, but I have Uh some general Uh ranges based on like packages, like dear God, give me something. So Uh uh we ended up making, all right, keep it simple, right? What are our top things that people want? How do we provide that and make it so that they can have options, but it's not too many and they have enough options that they don't have to talk to us at least too much. There is still a level of always talking with our brides. That is fine. It will never go away, but it certainly helped us. And what we loved is our efficiency was a sales pitch to them because Uh the new buying demographic is very much more socially invested in how they're buying things and they are very budget conscious Uh okay so let them in their pajamas and fuzzy socks sit there and put their a la carte items in their cart make the big wish list and realize oh okay, the bank account says I can't spend that on flowers. All right. So then 
you know, that you just eliminated back and forth quoting because they can do all of that in their shopping cart now. And they never have to have personal engagement mm. about a quote. Eliminating that has made it far easier for us. We also then um, started offering bulk flower options. Okay, well, if you can't pay for 30 centerpieces because of your budget, I get it. How about we provide bulk buckets of flowers for our pickup, which is not a new concept, right? Like uh, uh-huh. this has been happening. We add those on. Our We also added on with a like, here's a really easy way to get an idea of how far you're going to stretch it. You have to think about it, like keep it simple. We don't know everybody's base. So tell them how far they'll go on a standard size that everybody knows. Uh-huh. And then we started providing reference material strong youtube channel you want to know how to make your own bridal bouquet you can go watch a free youtube course and then they pick up their stuff so we don't ever leave now we've really worked on how to um we have arbor pieces that are available for pickup all of our stuff is done in sustainable design mechanics i mean we've really taken what are the core values of our business and how do we weave them into every product and process that we use and do? So we're very sustainability focused. And that's one of the things we want all this stuff pick up, but we have to make sure that it will last mm-hmm. and that it doesn't rob us of our commitment to being sustainable. So we spend a lot of time working through products and our biggest lesson I think we learned last year um, was to not rush to the market with products, but to completely develop them out. Um, A lot of times it was like, okay, this isn't working. Try that. We throw that out and it doesn't work. And then we just get frustrated because we just keep turning these things out and not understanding why none of the noodles are sticking on the wall. Mm -hmm. So for us, we really started, um, giving ourselves some, some room for pause because we're some fast moving ladies mm-hmm. and uh, making sure that we think through the entire pipeline and trying to work a year in advance. So we can move fast in next year's ideas, not this year. Because a lot of times that's what hiccups us. Oh, I had this great idea. I want to do it. We tie up two weeks doing it right now. We've just lost all that effort and energy working on this idea we just had to bring to market and then we're frustrated when it doesn't turn into be like insanely popular or successful <laughs> well i feel the same way i was looking in square the other day because we use the track all our sales and mm-hmm. we've got almost 400 SKUs. Mm-hmm. and that's and, and that's basically things that we tried didn't work tried mm-hmm. nope, and back in and out in and out in and out so yeah i get that you're especially as you're Again, I think farms that are looking to be a profitable business are going to try a tremendous amount of things and discard them, and it's going to be in and out. Um, let's talk through a little bit because um, of some of your newer stuff here, because I know you got some newer projects which are doing crazy. Uh, let's talk first about your victory garden because I am really impressed by that, and I really want to do something on a similar theme. We just haven't had the chance yet, but yeah, share a little bit about behind it and how it's working now. So the Victory Garden is, um, it's, I'm so proud of it. Like, I wish you could see it. I was out there this morning. In fact, last night I watched the moon rise 
in the Victory Garden. So uh, the Victory Garden is our pick your own garden. Uh, and the reason that we call it the Victory Garden, uh, you heard I came from a vocational educator. It is in me to share stories uh, and educate. And so in our pick your own garden, we talk about what Victory Gardens were. And from the war, movement, um, the, the general public of the US planted these gardens for self-sustaining. And the, the whole program became so successful that all of these extra resources became available to help continue supporting the program. And we find a lot of these youth organizations like 4-H and FFA, when you really drill back the origins are coming from that. We had the farmerettes, which were the women. The whole story is very in-depth and it's really beautiful. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wanna share this. Okay, well, um, I have a 13 year old that loves going to museums, but I have realized that she is an oddity and like the general public, it has to be served in a cool way. So we decided that we would make that a pick your own kind of educational garden and I think all of us should take advantage of kind of using that and exploring how we can't do it because we have people if you're running a pick your own you have people in a captive audience like tell some sort of story now Michael knows this is time number three I'm going to tell you that my big thing is signage and I still am buying signs and trying to figure out how to finance signs and <laughs> there will never be enough signs to communicate everything I want to say. But we were able to pull a ton of the old original posters and graphics used during the Victory Garden effort. And we have those in there. We have little sign cards that also then talk about what's going on. We were really careful not to make this. It's a beautiful setting on the farm of its own. So we didn't want to just tracked from that with our signage so everything's kind of tucked and woven in and sometimes even though there's signs all over the place that tell people that that's in there sometimes people still mm -hmm. take a few mm -hmm. times before they're like oh my gosh um but i just noticed that sign that i've been sitting there for three yeah, weeks oh yeah Oh yeah, exactly. And so the Victory Garden is divided into two sections. And in the very middle, we have a large American flag. And the top section talks about the history of Victory Garden. The second half of that garden talks about current things happening that are very much coming or in line with the movement like the Victory Garden. So we're talking a lot about um, local movement, farm to table. We're talking a lot about um, a newer look to our farmers, different people wanting to connect and know point of origin for everything that they are surrounding their lives with. So, and we're talking about how people can continue to take that home and apply it today. So the goal is you learn a little bit about what happened you learn a little bit about what's going on and you're given the tools to go and be a part of the future. And that model has served us so well. Like that's the big wooey gooey. The Victory Garden opened last year for the first time in its first year. We 
as professional, really excellent cultural growers of cut flowers, we had to replant our pick your own garden like four times because we just could not get that thing to live. Uh, this year, it is beautiful mm. uh, management of it. We have also, um, we're about to launch on our website, our new volunteer program, because we've been able to run the Victory Garden almost exclusively with volunteer hours. And we have people dying to come out and do it. Mm. We're also able to use more sustainable growing methods. We talk a lot about lasagna gardening and our volunteers help us put it in, feel a very strong attachment to that and continue to bring folks out. The Victory Garden in itself um, has given us a lot of attention from different angles, which is what I love. Like on my journey of discovering a better life through flowers, it has connected me with so many people mm -hmm. that I would have never have thought I would have had the privilege of meeting through flowers. And so like the local um, historian um, organization. We have a lot of preservations here, work here done in the Shenandoah Valley. We have a frontier culture museum. All of these places have shown a lot of support, interest, and continued involvement um, in our pick your own garden. And let me tell you, we were not clearly staffed for um, this weekend rolling up to the fourth because I was working solo, which that's the first time we've ever had a single person work a weekend shift. And that Victory Garden was humming. And I love mm. it because so many people have been able to share that experience and bring people back. Um, it great, it's a great photo opportunity and it has led to other projects. And what I mean by that is um, by developing out the Victory Garden, we, um, started making you know you dig back in your like network connection history closet and you're like who do I know that can help me with this one of my dear friends in high school and college ended up being a vocational FFA teacher herself just mm. on the other side of the state and so I we were talking a little bit about this and I want to bring people to the farm and she was like I think that's amazing I love the community angle I want to work with you I want to somehow do something but I can't do the victory garden and we started thinking we were like okay you're like hours away but you have a group of kids and you're a really passionate teacher and what what could we do I said okay by the way remember I'm a big crazy dreamer I said Virginia's for lovers I want a big love sign here on the farm will you maybe you can help me get it made and she goes well, actually, I teach the state-winning welders team at my FFA chapter. And I was like, no way. So this class of juniors and seniors decided that for their semester fundraiser project, because we need to invest in our kids and our future, mm -hmm. they would take on this project and they called it Cultivating Love for Harmony. And these kids came up, we told them about the farm and that we wanted the, this to really represent the farm and it would be outside all the time and all the things. And these kids came up with three different versions of each letter. And those were the final three from the class. And they gave them to us and our whole team voted on them. And so 
we took the winning design choice for each letter and those kids learned how to source metal, provide a quote, design in CAD and actually fabricated this 12 foot tall love letters. So then a few hours away, we have these heavier than snot, L-O-B-E's propped up against the side of a high school. And it was the perfect opportunity for my husband and I to take a day date. So you have to work this stuff in however you can. Yes. And we got a big U-Haul and we went down there and we picked up those letters. And those kids were so proud to like show me some of their beadwork on the welds and tell me about some of the material that they had picked out. There's just a lot of pride. Uh -huh. And we brought it back. And then I realized like it was going to require quite an intense footer trench to be dug. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I was up against the clock because I waited to the last darn minute before our big annual flower fair July event to want to put it up. And so, again, it's, it's learning how to lean into your community. And so. Uh, we had just finished a barn renovation. Lo and behold, the head of the project was the husband of a super dear friend of mine. So I called him and I was like, what do I do? And he said, oh my gosh, this will take you forever to get this job done. He said, you're in luck. I have a half a truck of extra concrete that we were going to have to dump at a site. I can sell that to you dirt cheap. You just need to have the trench done by the end of the day. He said, to make it easier, I'm going to bring all the site levels. I'm going to mark it all out. You'll have exact, I just can't get the trench done. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went out there with my shovel. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I have four young children who all have to find mom to ask a question. And then I have four kids with shovels and me. And then, you know, I have my neighbor down the road who, just wanted to know why I was out with a shovel and she's got a shovel and I started acquiring people with shovels and I have never seen the most pristine perfect uh footer trench dug in the shortest period of time ever now my daddy likes to say I'm a master manipulator but I like <laughs> to think that I just really bring out the best and motivating and inspiring people to get the job done you know it was a really beautiful moment uh, the next day at Flower Fair when that love sign uh, stood proudly up on the hill and we could tell our community about these kids. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we spent money on that fundraiser for those kids and we were like, gosh, that was, it was worth it. But whew. well, yeah. if we had been smart and business owners are not always smart, we don't know what we're doing. We're running down a blind path. And so things kind of surface and you look back and you're like, boy, it would have been intelligent if I knew that that was how it was supposed to be. You see, Virginia is for lovers is not a thing we own. That's the state slogan. And Virginia tourism actually has an entire tour around the state where you can go visit these love signs called Love Works. And you know, Love Works, they have a grant that covers the cost. But you see, I was looking at my love sign that was already up. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so dumb. But again, I look back in my big old fat telephone book of contacts and I had become really close with our local agent rep and we called her and I was like, I didn't know this happened. She goes, well, you didn't finish reading it because you can actually apply for the grant after you put it up. So oh. the state paid for it. 
right? What I didn't realize that was going to be a huge tour driver to my brand new open destination. Yes. So we have folks that come from all over the place and we can share the story. We now have a sign that lives up there that talks about how these kids built this for us. And once a month, we actually do a big community push where we take all of that week's unsold and marked for donation flowers and we'll go up to the love sign and put all the flowers out and we we open it up to the entire community and we decorate the love sign together and it's kids it's grown-ups it's me sometimes you know everybody's playing maybe you learn something maybe you get to hold a flower you've never had everybody takes beautiful pictures and it looks beautiful until Monday morning when I have to rip it down but for that whole day people stop in they feel connected they look forward to the next one and it it's a sense of pride and joy and I I have not handed over the reins of that because I really enjoy doing that with the community Mm -hmm. it feels so much fun to just free play with people and talk sometimes they know who I am and sometimes they don't even better and you know we started building off of that synergy and our love sign was actually selected as the number one love sign of the Shenandoah Valley. So now that brings us even more attention. And wow. all, all of these little things, I can, we have so many more projects in the pipework, but I follow the snake trail back and it came from the Victory Garden, which is essentially nothing more than a pick your own. But do you see all the extra layers and the Correct. ways that it's developed? Yeah, well, and it, it came back to yes, you did some Yupik flowers, but you, but it was the marketing aspect. It was the thinking about the as a business and how can we keep pushing, how can we keep going, and that was what we really ended up with is you know this massive, massive um, marketing push and just uh, you know publicity for your farm. Oh, it's been phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite things. You know, you, you, your children also know one of my other favorite things here at this farm. Um, this is a magical farm and we're yes. open to like, so yes. we get all kinds of people, right? Yes. And a lot of times there's us grownups and we want to have a conversation and there's little kids and I have little kids, they fidget quick and yes. they need to be entertained and we need something easy. And so on this magical farm, we have fairies, but see, my kids grew up and I had to get stuff done. And remember I was doing all those weddings. So mm-hmm. one of the side results of doing all those weddings was smashed aquarium marbles for centerpieces. I like so many of them. Um, and so they ended up, my kids would find them out in the gravels and we throw them around. I told my kids, you know, cause I'm trying to entertain and engage. And I was like, oh, magic is everywhere. We just can't always see it. I said, I bet those were fairies. We, as we see them now, they're stones. So my kids started thinking, oh, I wonder if I put the fairies here, what they'll do. And whenever we would dig in the dirt, if we came across one, hey mom, look, it's a gardening fairy. And so when we opened up to the farm, again, we come across all these bags of smashed marbles. Um, I start putting them out in the parking area and in the pathways and right in front of the shop. And my mom thought I was crazy, but it worked. All these kids started finding them and they started collecting. We see these little kids walking around with their 
eyes fixed on the stones and a handful of these little flashing glass beads in their hands. And, you know, we had to put up some signs that kind of explained the story and told parents it was okay to take them home. Although now mm-hmm. we also have a relocation house for the fairies in case you have taken too many home and you are ready to send them back. <laughs> um, but it was a great way for us to easy provide an engagement area uh, and an experience for our littles that were coming. But what I love is that we are all littles. And so as the kids were doing it, at first, the parents are trying to, what are you doing? Oh, no, maybe you should put that back. Oh, no, I think these are supposed to be here. And then the next thing, you know, they're picking them up. And then you have all these people exploring and being kids. And I don't know how many pictures I have that folks don't know I took of just crowds of all ages combing our parking lot like it's the beach looking for seashells and you know I think we're all looking for a little bit of that magic and so if there are ways that you can weave in those delightful fun experiences people want to come back Mm -hmm. they want to come back and continue to to feed off that energy and how often do you have to replace the the marbles uh I've only so I can't tell you how many I initially put down right (laughs) there's a lot like I'm trying I think it was less than a five gallon bucket okay but but you also know how long our lead-in road is too yes like I really spread them out and then I get them I usually buy like a bag at opening and I might buy a bag like either I'm not going to do it right before flower fair but that would be my next play or late in the season right before we have a big event so maybe two of the like, what are they, 10, 15, 18 pound bags on Amazon? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like 20 bucks. Yeah. 20 bucks oh, yeah. Pricey. Well, I just ordered some. I literally just ordered some because you reminded me that I kept saying I was going to do it. And I just right? finally, yes, now they're it's in the so car- much fun. Yes. Yes. And, and it's an easy thing too. So you give it to the kids to put out and like, don't dismiss the little people sales team that we all have. Like the little people are your best sales team. You, who harasses parents until they just do what their kids say? Oh, <laughs> you know? all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mom, can yeah. we go to that place with all the little fairies? Mom, can we go to the place with all the little fairies? Mom, like they're yes. going to show up. So yeah. give the kids a reason to want to come out. Let me tell you the other thing that I did to really charge up kids was I started I just started where my kids go to school and I went to the elementary school and we put together, we took the little expandable wagon. We all have those now for market and travelability, uh-huh. took the little market wagon, put some sunflowers, some dried sunflowers, sunflower seeds, strips of cardboard in there, went in there dressed like a farmer. We talked about flower farming. We let all those kids touch and feel the fresh ones. I even tried to make sure I had some bugs. Kids love bugs. Mm -hmm, We touched mm -hmm. and crinkled and broke apart the dried ones. They love destroying things. Let them do that. They learn. Mm -hmm. And then we took those strips of cardboard and we glued our sunflower seeds on there. And then we told them that in order for that bookmark to grow into a magical garden, they had to charge it with flower knowledge. So all winter long, those kids went home and read and planted their bookmarks in the spring. And I thought they forgot about it, except on Facebook. And in my email, I have about a half a dozen parents who reached out and said, thank you. Mm. Okay, like, 
that was only the six that were motivated enough to actually follow through looking for me to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. How many kids did we actually touch there? And so I started really getting into this. How do we touch people? How do we make things? How do we empower people? And so my big thing um, that is kind of surfacing in me and my business, like I feel really good about what we're building and what we're doing, but I want to do more for more, for more people. I want to make a bigger change. I'm not going to be here forever. None of us are. And I want my journey to make change that continues to, to open doors for other people. Mm-hmm. That's um, what I feel like my life mission is. And so from that, we have kind of created our own movement. Hey, Thriving Farmers listeners, it's Lindsay from Grown By. I have exciting news for farmers who sell direct. Grown By is proud to be the first and only platform where you can accept SNAP benefits online. 42 million Americans depend on SNAP benefits to feed their families, spending $114 billion annually. With SNAP Online, you don't need clunky machines or weird workarounds to receive those payments. Customers shop your Grown By store and check out using their EBT card just like a credit card, and no special equipment is required. Grown By supports everything you'd want to sell, from complex CSA programs to weekly markets and delivery. I know that many of you care deeply about food security. There are so many projects that farmers do on their own to bring food to the communities who need it most. Offering SNAP Online is another way to make sure that your farm products are accessible to everyone. Thanks to a grant through USDA and our partner MarketLink, accepting SNAP Online at your farm is entirely free. Really. To get started, simply email us at snap, S-N-A-P, at farmgenerations.coop, or visit us on the web at grownby.app. Check out today's show notes for more information. And also, just so you know, it's okay if you've never accepted SNAP before on your farm. We will get you started. We hope that you will join me and the members of the Farm Generations Cooperative Makers of Grownby to expand your farm sales with SNAP online. Yeah, let's talk about the MUM project. The MUM project. So, you know, I think as flower farmers, you kind of end up with like your favorite kids on the block. Yes. I don't yes. do that in my house, but I definitely <laughs> do that in my fields, okay? Yes. And, it's allowed out there. Right. And I can, it's a really easy answer for me when people say, what is your favorite flower? Easy, the chrysanthemum. And they're like, lame, that's a basic flower. And I say, no, you're lame. You don't know about the heirloom chrysanthemums. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you see, when I first started flower farming in those early days, and you're going to everybody's farm that you can find access to, and you're trying to learn as much as you can, and you come across some of these people who are like, I've been doing this for 20 years. And you're like, you're God, just tell me all the things you know. Mm-hmm. Right. So I go to Pennsylvania. I find this amazing flower farmer florist. Uh, her name is Kate Sparks. She's since moved to Mexico and I've stayed in touch with her. She's an amazing soul. And there was just a little um, like extension meeting happening for Pennsylvania, Maryland. I can't even remember exactly where I was, but it was out of state. And I was like, 25 bucks, I'm going. I'll live out mm-hmm. of my car and eat a hot dog. So I went and walked her property and information overload. But the one thing I took away, she said, I'm going to give you a couple of these plants. Mm. These are the most amazing flowers you'll ever find. She was like, these 
are chrysanthemums. And I did the whole, oh, I know chrysanthemums. She goes, no, 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 honey. You don't know these. She goes, they're really hard to get a hold of. But grow them and just trust your gut. You'll be okay. You'll figure them out. Okay, so I bring these little plants back home and it's my first year growing and I'm killing things left and right. But I didn't kill the mums. Mm. And I'm trying to figure out like, oh gosh, like fertilizer. Wow, that's why all these things are turning yellow and dying. The mums were easy for me to figure out. Oh, oh, you're turning yellow. I bet you need fertilizer. Okay, let me give you some. Oh, okay, you really like this. And they were gentle on my beginner skills. Mm -hmm. And they jumped, they like aggressively grew. So it's kind of that mental psychology of, look, it's getting really big. They got bigger than they needed to be. But as a beginner, it felt so good to have success. Okay. And so for the few things, remember, I grew like a million different crops just so I had something. Mm -hmm. So when all those somethings kind of came to an end, it was my first year and I was still living on that high of not really wanting the season to be over. And I looked and I still had the chrysanthemums. Now I didn't have high tunnels, so I was field covering these babies. But it was in that moment when I realized this crop, I had flowers later than everybody around me and they're beautiful and they were easy for me to sell and they didn't stress me out. Mm -hmm. I want to grow more of them, right? That was year one assessment. I like them. They can stay. So I call my friend Kate and I'm like, Kate, I need more. And she goes, well, here's the thing. They are kind of hard to get a hold of. There's really not a whole lot of people with them. Here's where I'm getting them. See what you can do. And I'm like, great. So I start buying uh, these plants and working them into my rhythm and they become a staple crop here on the farm. I feel pretty good about how we're overwintering and propagating out, making our crop, testing out some new varieties each, each year. And oh my gosh, as the shipping develops, they are one of the best shipping flowers I have. Like mm. literally the best. And I'm like, man, these things like Thank gosh for the moms. I can't tell you how many times we would say that. So we're building a name for ourselves off of the moms. And a couple of years ago, we decided, hey, okay, we're replicating and starting fresh every year, but we know that the plants we're pulling out of our high tunnels now are perfectly good plants because all of us have landscapes filled with them and we don't want no more. I yeah. wonder if we couldn't sell these bare roots. Hmm. Wouldn't that be cool if we could do that in like January? We did. And we mm. overnight sold out. And literally that first year and every year since, it has at minimum financed all of January. Okay. Mm. Right. So we were like, okay. Well, so then we start shipping bare roots and we only did that for two seasons. Okay. Cause I was like, I, I like it, but I feel like there's a technical better way. I want to level this up. This feels a little too like backyard. If I want to do this professionally, I want to know how to do it professionally. And I love these plants. Well, over the past couple of years, mom's got way harder to get your hands on and way more popular probably didn't hurt because we had them featured in a multi-page spread in Southern Living. Mm -hmm. So all these people get really excited about the mums. And I'm like, there's something here. Now there are mums available, but these are ones that have typically 
been produced for pot production. You know, the ones we see at Lowe's, Home Depot, that a lot of people are growing um, for the pumpkin patches. We didn't know if those would actually work for cuts, but Boss and Genta, who had acquired Yoder Mums, and there's a whole history and story there, came to us and said, hey, you guys are really rolling on the mums. Would you like to trial and see? Would you like to be our guinea pig to see if these will actually work for cuts? I said, yeah, sure. So for two years, we ran the national trials. And it was really interesting to see the difference between licensed material and open propagation stock and where the place for both of them resides in our industry. And we were like, wow, this is really cool. We should share all this information. We trialed all this stuff. So we said, okay, you know what? We love the mum so much. Let's have a big mum event. We consider November mumvember. So we kick it off at the beginning of the year, that Friday, Saturday, Friday hosting a virtual event, which is mum summit. And mm. then the next day an on the farm event, which is mum showcase. And last year was our first year and it was so well received. You see our, our virtual event, is it a ticketed event that people can get the back access to? But we review our entire growing season with our grow team and with Ball's rep. We bring out examples of all the varieties and we go over what the big stress is, what the big um, trials and um, rewards that we found. We pick focuses that we trial and test out in a growing season, and then we share all of that data. And we were like, wow, people are really interested. And they started asking us, hey, we would really like to get plants from you. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we got to change up. And I was like, all right, so what if we actually, what if we actually did plants? What would that look like? Well, we need more varieties. I'm like, well, where are these varieties? Well, they all exist, but not available in the market. You see, the only varieties left outside the few from one major supplier are all held in private collections mm -hmm. because mums are like dogs. There's a whole show world to it. Didn't know. Learned. Learned something yeah, new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I said, okay, well, that sounds like a roadblock, but I've got four wheel drive. So my, my whole farm team, my whole family and myself combed the United States of America because I just can't import them yet. Yeah. Um, and we started making friends and acquiring different private collections. And as it stands today, I do believe that we hold the largest collection of heirloom chrysanthemums in the U.S. approaching or over 400 varieties at the moment. Wow. So, so, all right. Yeah. So how do you keep the track of them all? Because obviously oh, there's- Oh my gosh. Okay. So by the way, that's 400 varieties. Each variety we keep at minimum 12 stock plants of each. Okay. So think wow. about the space, right? Yeah. How many You've been to my farm. There's no yes. place to do that here. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I've got the general public and this feels very technical, right? So that felt like another roadblock. Remember I had four wheel drive? Yes. So I made another friend who happened to uh, own a 
landscape nursery facility happens to be one of the largest in Virginia that hasn't been operational for over 20 years, but it does happen to sit in my backyard and it does have functional mm. greenhouses. So with a crossed fingers and a big, beautiful bouquet, I talked to him and negotiated a partnership, excuse me, a partnership and a deal to start growing into the facility. Now we're in one house right now. We're looking at opening up a second. The houses are 60 by 200 wow. heated and fully automated. Um, then there are over 200 empty cold frames that are all 20 by 96. So it is me sitting in the middle of what could potentially be a big operation yeah. um, and having the ability to sit there and grow into that dream is a blessing. Mm -hmm. And so we had the space to do it. We had the plans, but here's the thing. I want this to be super technical and I want it to be done correctly. And I didn't feel like we, we can propagate our own crop, but being yeah. propagators is a job. And I didn't feel like that was our wheelhouse. So I pulled out the telephone book again and the garden center that I grew up running around with my grandma, I probably gave those people anxiety, the number of trays I knocked over as a kid. Uh, I continued to shop there as, a, as an adult. I mm -hmm. knew that they were good propagators because they propagate and begin a lot of the vegetable starts for the growers in our area. Again, I leaned into my Mennonite community. And I approached him, I said, hey, is this something y'all would want to work with us? It has been the best partnership. Uh, like, I can't even tell you how amazing. I've gotten closer with the family. They feel very vested and involved. This past year, we moved over 20,000 plants in January in just the heirlooms, not including wow. the ball hybrid. And it was with such a strong and beautiful team. And now you ask, there is a lot of data that we are collecting and we are building out. Uh, currently we work in Airtable and we spent an entire year building out a customized um, data uh, table in Airtable and uh, are still working on the final in, um, integrations between some of the other programs that we use. But we also work heavily in project management and we have been able now to set up and we are running our own trials with these heirlooms. So we selected 10 growers across the country that we sent them um, a handful of our internal um, newly acquired varieties and they're growing them in their climates and we went through a different set of parameters for every grower selected. And they will all be contributing to Mom's Summit this year. And you know, the Mom Project just continues to grow. And we're looking, I, I truly believe that this crop, the Mums, they are so easy. They can literally be grown in every environment in the US. So every, every grower has play here. We have a farmer, just like all of us, me, sitting on a collection that keeps this special to us. If we all collect our efforts, if we can make everybody want these, there's not a single 
other country, other countries that import into us all have calling card signature crops. Mm -hmm. The U.S. does not have a floral export, and we certainly don't have a calling card crop. This could potentially be it, and it could be a collective win of all of us. We don't have to let a big licensor take it to the market and bring it. It can be a group of farmers. And this is a flower that we can keep different at farmers markets versus group. We all have play here. And this is all at the beginning levels. So as this idea really grows and evolves, and it's one that I'm sharing, and we're building a team that's going to help grow this out. And I want all farmers at the table. I encourage everybody to really keep their eyeballs on the MUM project and continue to stay involved. Because I want something that we can all rally together and and end up with an outcome we can all, all feel good about because I would love to think that one of my kids or maybe my grandkids would be able to maybe they're in Europe and they're like hey look those are American grown moms mm-hmm. and it means something to them mm-hmm. very very cool um do you have a favorite mom do I, oh my gosh. I, okay. Listen, there's this one that none of us have seen. She's like the unicorn. There is, here's the other thing. When you collect that many plants, we have not seen them all bloom and mm. we're having to depend on other people's pictures or some of them, there's not even an image. So it's a total shocker for like, we don't know. So we're so excited to watch everything bloom out, but there is this one called Jane Sharp and she. She has one picture that has literally made everybody's jaw drop. So we're waiting. I'm waiting on her. I want to see what she looks like. TBD on what my favorite variety is. I want to see what all of these goodies look like. Okay. I feel like hid in a candy store in that greenhouse. You should see me with all these little babies. Yeah. So then, all right. So you've got over this greenhouse. So these mother plants, are you, what kind of, uh, are they in the ground? Are they in pots in the greenhouse? How does that work? So- So our mother crop is all grown in one gallon containers. And the other part of this, remember I said, I really want to keep it professional and technical. So I've been working with Virginia State and I've been working with some federal agencies. We're crafting and we're on the tail ends of our own um, test that everything that leaves here will have its own certification so that you know that you are getting clean certified stock. And we're coming up with our own mom test. So there was nothing out there. I've worked really closely um, with Virginia on um, because we ship plants, we work a lot with our inspectors. But I was like, where's my preventative test? There isn't one. So we're making one. And I think that might have some play for other people down the road too. And maybe not just flowers, but Um, we're working really hard to keep it very technical and correct so that plants that come from us, we can 100% stand behind. I also, the whole goal of this, make as many moms as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So this is not something where you buy a plant and I'm like, no, 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 you only get to have one plant. No, I'm like, make 10,000 plants and share with people until they're growing along the side of the road. Um, We wanted to empower people. So we have Uh, a mom growing guide that we have on our website and our trial participants have all um, taken our course and we're all growing in the same method. So for folks who might be interested in 
growing along with us. We offer a full course that allows you access to all of that. And there's more things coming in the MUM project. Stay tuned. All right. Well, that sounds exciting. So <laughs> you've got all these projects going on um, and I, I need to let you go because both of us have busy days today, but what would you say is uh, what keeps your business together? Because obviously you feel like you've built your business to the point where you can start working on these projects. And that where I feel like is true business freedom is when you're not stuck with the day-to-day -day and you can focus on what you know is going to move the farm forward, you know, working on the business instead of in the business. So like talk through that for a few minutes. So I'm going to tell you like the biggest piece of epiphany and this applies in so many different ways is going to be communication, communication, communication. Okay. And we need to, um, we need to make sure we put that, that pride aside and be vulnerable and communicate. And there may be a lot of things you don't want to hear that you need to get to the other side of because the outcome is so worth it. And I am talking, we're a family business. I am talking in personal relationships. I am talking about communicating until the cows come home on your finances. Talking about numbers should be every other word coming out of your mouth. The other one should be working on sales. But truly, like nobody wants to have those talks. Um, literally right now, what I am in the middle of doing is probably having like the scariest, think of the scariest financial, um, conversation you could have. I want to sit down today and write like, okay, today we're closing down the store. Exactly. What does that mean? What's every piece of day? Am I homeless? Like go through it all. I want to know there there's fear in unknown. So get rid mm -hmm. of the fear. Um, so I'm taking my communication to the next level of digging into things like we may not want to communicate with your team and communication also means having a way to communicate. How are you going to talk to your team? How do you expect the customers to communicate with you? How are you communicating with your customers? I think literally focusing on communicating makes me feel like I'm doing the most work. I am definitely um, action focused and I like to see movement. Communication feels like movement in all the different directions that I really need to be focusing. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, that's key right there, communication. And I think you keep, you said something earlier, which is just repeating again and again and again, the same thing. Um, I mean, I think it was to customers, but I think it also is important to talk to our team and just make sure they are very clear on exactly what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. We really, we need to talk. Sometimes we just need to talk to ourselves. Like my days start at four o'clock in the morning because that's me, but my workflow, it, it gets grindy at certain times. So there's more on the plate, right? So I'm hitting the ground running at four. I actually have been getting up even earlier. Yes, that means I go to bed like way before the moon's out, but I need early time without anybody talking to me when I have a fresh brain because that's when I can talk to myself. Mm -hmm. And those are important conversations to have. And let me be real clear. We may have lifestyle living, but our lifestyle is not us. So take the fear of if the business dies, I die right out of your head. Uh -huh. Like we are people and people always come first. The business is the game of life we choose to play, but it is not us. And I think there's a lot of times where on isolation Island that 
farmers lose sight of that. And it has hit very close to home for me. And so I think we need to remember that our farm, our business is not our identity. Mm-hmm. Go through the ugly. I mean, I'm doing it and it's real scary, but go through the ugly feels of like killing your business because then you know. And then when you're like, oh my God, I feel so bad. It's not like you're falling off a deep cliff. You know what that looks like. You make a different decision. You don't have to jump off the cliff, but you know what that looks like. And I just, I think communicating with ourselves and being honest and giving ourselves the space and time to think through some of that. Just take an extra long shower or real long walk, whatever you need. Talk to yourself, talk to your team talk to Mm. your customers, communicate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jessica. This has been fabulous. Can't wait to uh, see you again. I know I get down to Virginia (laughs) at least once a year and um, the ferries will be installed in the parking lot in a couple days. So I will, uh, I I have a six-year-old that would be very happy to help me with that. that, And then you have to take pictures of that and share that. It'll be the cutest thing. I expect to get my own text picture of that. <laughs> you will. Yes, yes. And uh, he still has your the fairies he got at your place and he still talks about them. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's those little things that make a big impact. Like, don't mm-hmm. dismiss the butterfly effect of the small things we do every mm-hmm. day. Thank you yeah. so much for the opportunity to talk. It is such a privilege and a real blessing to be here today. I, I really, I appreciate the friendship. You're one of my favorite people in that big old telephone book. Oh, thank you. All right. You have a great rest of your day, Jessica. You too. Yeah, bye. Bye. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.